the blunder bus is back. Yes, Australia's most popular bus on which to discuss leadership failure is back in action. The blunder bus has been in the garage and now on the road once again for season six. Once again, we'll be driving all over Australia, meeting some fantastic leaders who will share painfully honest stories about their moments of failure and what they've learned. The Blunderbuss has now been downloaded over six and a half thousand times, making it the world's most popular podcast about leadership failure recorded on a bus. You probably worked out by now that the magic secret when it comes to failure is the ability to reflect on mistakes and learn. And that's what I do in my work as a pastoral supervisor, which I do through my organization, Generation Leadership. So if you're looking for a pastoral supervisor to help you reflect on your work and ministry practice, I currently have some openings. Go to my website, generationleadership.com.au to find out more. I'd love to work with you and provide a safe space to reflect on what you're currently doing and what you can learn. So check that out. Today, the Blunderbuss has driven to St. Ives in Sydney to meet Peter Mayrick, who's been helping develop leadership amongst Christian leaders for over a decade, heads up partners in ministry and also helps to support pastors through the Centre for Ministry Development. And previously, Peter worked in business, heading up companies in the pharmaceutical industry. Peter, welcome onto the bus. Uh, thank you, Ed. It's, it's great to be on board. I, I, I'm hearing that you, you've invited me because I've made mistakes. <laughs> well, that's that's the first question. As someone who you know, has worked in industry, worked in ministry, developed leaders, have you ever actually made a mistake? I've never made a mistake. Oh, that no. would be my first mistake is to not admit it. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, I've made plenty of mistakes. Plenty oh, that's of good. mistakes. That's good. I was worried there for a moment that, uh, you know, for the first time, you know. <laughs> um, well, that's interesting, Peter. It's really interesting because your, uh, your work has been in business. You've worked with a lot of people in ministry, uh, you know, across, you know, very diverse kind of fields and all that sort of thing. So, you know, you have a perspective across all of that. What What do you want to talk about today? Uh, look, when you ask me, what, what's the what are the mistakes that you've made? I could have drawn from a whole list. Yeah, but there's one that really stands out for me, and it's important because look, I pride myself in being reasonably good at working with people, Ed. Mm. And and there's this one event that stands out where um, clearly my problem was not recognizing that all people are different and people right. are individuals and not treating a person as an individual. Um, I've been training people in how to coach in business. Uh, I've been telling people, you know, coaching is that important and working people and caring for people. Anyway, um, I had been leading this company, um, the Australian arm of this company, and I had a very strong um, lady reporting to me. She was the business unit manager. I was still in secular work in pharmaceuticals. And we went and did some training on coaching. And as we walked out, she said to me, hey, maybe we should try that. And as I reflected on that statement, I realised everything I'd been doing with her was just not working for her. <laughs> like she hadn't noticed anything about uh, that? She just hadn't raised it with me. And maybe I wasn't able, she wasn't able to raise it with me. But this method that we just learned, why don't we try that, Peter? <laughs> and, and suddenly it hit me, my guilt, that I was treating her like everyone else. And she's a very unique, very clever lady, right. very capable and I was treating her like everybody else. And she didn't need to be treated like everybody else. She needed to be treated like her and wow. cared for as, as a person, uh, the woman that she that she is. And that was a real wake-up call for me. Um, and, and it went further for me then. It, it started me on a journey of thinking, so what does it look like 
to follow a standardised approach to dealing with people and yet to treat people as unique and to treat yes. people as special. Um, I have heard someone really- say, uh, and you need to, to you know, treat this with some caution or whatever, but, you know, that there's nothing more unfair than treating everyone equally or maybe yeah, everyone, that's right. every, everyone the same. Yeah. So what was it about this woman that was... I don't know, unique or what, what What? should you have been doing with her? Well, I, what I needed to do, and the more I've worked on this space, the more I've realised the key step to working with people, whether it to be delegating as a boss or whether it just be working with someone, is to get clarity of what we're trying to achieve right? and to help them um, understand that I'm there for them and to set an agenda of, of clarity and, and clear expectations. Um, so broad rather than large. And what I realised as a boss, I was bringing to the, the conversation my personal expectations and I thought she was aligned with my personal expectations, yet she had a whole bunch of other expectations. And if I'd asked a more general question from the start and asked her to lay her expectations on the floor, on the page, on the, on the table, um, we would have had a much different base to start from. Okay. Was that a problem that your expectations of her, I assume, in her role and her expectations were significantly different? Was that a problem? Um, The problem was is that she is a strong woman who likes to create her agenda and likes to be trusted. And because we were starting with where I thought my agenda was or our agenda was, she felt like I was shaping her into a role rather than allowing her to shape the role according to the shared expectations. Okay. And, and and what I realised is the more that I work with people, I need to understand what their expectations are as I sit down with someone, mm. uh, whether they be someone who reports to me or somebody that I'm supporting in, say, a coaching environment. Right. Um, and so what I've learned is what is better is the big open questions at the start and then narrowing in on whatever the conversation needs to be, mm. which is it's- not always easy because I, I, I do come to the table with an expectation. Yeah. Like this is not free for all, is it? Like you don't get to no. choose your own adventure in in roles, That's right. you know. But it sounds like that woman, um, you know, one of the issues at hand was uh, how much was this about direction and how much was this about support? And I think she was saying, "Yeah, just support me." And I think you're saying, oh, I, th- "I think there's a little bit more direction needed here." Was it sort yeah. of around that? I think so. And trust. So yes. a big thing is about trust. Do you trust that I'm able to use my grey cells? Do you trust that I'm smart enough to lay down the the base of this issue? Right. Um, Which is what a broad question does is, you know, what do you think, Ed? Um, um, How do you think we could best approach this, Ed? Rather than I'm thinking that we should do this, what do you think? So is it um, somehow being really clear about and and probably pretty... um, non-negotiable about outcomes, but maybe being prepared to negotiate a fair bit about the means by which those outcomes are achieved. Yeah, yeah and, and even allowing her, for her, it was allowing her to describe exactly what the outcome's in and then me agreeing or disagreeing. Right. But for her to have first bite was really, really important. Now, she's a very strong, forthright woman. Okay. And, and, and that was important for her. Not everyone needs that. No. But it actually helped me to recognise that um, allowing people to shape part of the future, if they're able to, there's a, yes. there's a big hit there, 
right. um, demonstrates extraordinary trust. And yeah. the more trust you give, the more trustworthy people can be, become. Right. Um, so someone so, like her, who sounds like pretty talented and whatever, you know, it sounds like she'd be quite excited to step up for that kind of experience. Other people are like, I don't know, you need to tell me what to do. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and so how do, you, how do you get to that point where someone says, I don't know? And then you say, well, here's what I'm thinking. Or do you think this would work? Right. Um, in a relationship with pastors where I'm walking into somebody else's place, they clearly are the boss of their office. Yeah. Um, that's much easier to say, what do you think, Ed? What do you think it might look like? Yeah. Um, and then having had you talk about it, I'm then able to suggest, well, somebody else has, has done this. Would that work? But this experience just shaped me to recognise the other person shaping what good looks like is always better and always more understandable for them mm. than when I try to shape it. it. It sounds like, Peter, that when one does that, you're making yourself a little bit vulnerable and, and relaxing a little bit of control over this sort of stuff. Yeah. 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 How, and ironically, how... you're actually gaining control. Uh-huh. Because as a boss, for example, if you tell me this is what you'd like to do, I don't have to say, yes, I agree. But but now I have a, an understanding of what you're thinking mm. and um, I can hopefully narrow that back or pare it back or shape it or something like that. But I'm starting from a deeper place rather than a shallower place. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, therefore, I have more control. Right. Um, if I know you're going to do something I disagree with, I say, now, Ed, the reason why I'm not sure that would be the best way forward is this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you need to be clear about certain parameters in all of this. It strikes me, though, that it, it is potentially, at least, uh, a little scary for people uh, yeah. to, to relinquish at least that initial kind of control. There's a certain vulnerability on the part of the boss who's trying to coach in this. Yeah, sense. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. How, 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 did you, how did you find that? Oh, I found that scary. And yet the, the method that we've just been trained is, is a method actually that we train, I train now in task-based coaching. I okay. wish I'd learned it 20 years before. Okay. Um, but it, it's, it was a method of, of, of coaching on the task, which essentially, um, you know, here's the task. If I was coaching you, Ed, what do you think you did well? And just getting you to describe it really, yes. really well. Yes. Hey, Ed, when, how do you think you could improve it next time? Yes. And relying entirely upon what you think yeah. Before you even hear what I think, yeah, it, it's such an easy method of coaching. Yes, but and that's what she loved because she retained control over her thoughts. Yeah, um, to be honest, Peter, that's my my pretty much go to approach in critiquing people. Yeah, preach, preaching, preaching their sermons, whatever. Uh, and it just seems to me it makes it yeah, as you say, so much easier because if someone says, "Oh, I wasn't sure that I did that particularly well," they could say, "No, no, I don't think you did it all that well either." But they mentioned it first, right? It just seems easier, you know. They said it, and all I'm doing is agreeing. What a yeah. what a what a what a great comment. Um, what, what what do you want to do about that? You know? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So, uh, part of this is about the power of coaching, I guess. The yeah. power of having a coaching mindset in yeah. uh, in managing people. What if what have you learned about that? I think that um, whether you are a boss or whether you are coming into a situation where you're coaching with somebody else, you have to realise that coaching is about the end results in the person that you're meeting with. 
Uh-huh. But, so coaching needs to become more other person centric than me centric. Yes. Um, because at the end of the day, and it's the trust word that's most important. Um, I'm coaching somebody in a task that they need to own if it's yes. to go well. Yes. And so, therefore, the coaching experience needs to start to think about how what will they take out of the conversation. And if we're thinking about normal delegation, which might not be a boss relationship, it might just be a ministry relationship or a, a business relationship, um, what is most important is what they leave the conversation with and yeah. what shared expectations we have as we leave the table. Um, and, and this starts to move into delegation, but it all goes together. If, if we have shared understanding or shared expectations of what's going to happen, when we follow up, which is the core piece of accountability, we're both going to evaluate how it went by the same criteria. Yeah, 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 yeah. Peter, you've you know, very experienced in business, very experienced in mm. in ministry, ministry coaching, those those sorts of things. What, what do you notice about I don't know church world and ministry world as opposed to business world with regard to this kind of issue around coaching and so on? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I noticed was uh, when I first started training and coaching, um, I would never coach someone on, on just a task alone. I would always coach on personhood. You know, how are they going? You know, how are they feeling? Because motivation is important. Uh, when I first started working with ministers, I just assumed that personhood would be covered because we call that discipleship. Right. And what I realised is actually that's an assumption that is not only fallacious, yeah. it, is, it is just absent. <laughs> Um, the, the average um, pastor, and I hope that people listening to this aren't the average pastor, <laughs> um, actually very rarely asks the person they're coaching how are you how are you going in your, how are you going in life and right. how are you going in faith. Right. So yeah. very quickly, I had to shift the coaching model to say we, we go for three Gs: how are you going? Yeah. Life. How are you growing? Let's make sure we've covered off the spiritual piece. Yes. Because uh, that's important. And then how did you go, which is um, making sure we're account- we've got accountability to what you said you do. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, so that was the first thing I noticed. Um, as we've come through COVID and more of training centred on things like change management, I've recognised actually that trust is probably the, the, the poison point. Um mm. We're low on trust in ministry, and I've been wrestling this for a while, but I've been reading uh, our church has been studying uh, to Timothy recently, and and I want to characterise it that we love the end of 1 Timothy and the start of 2 Timothy, which talks about guarding the good deposit. Mm. But that 2 Timothy 2, 2, (laughs) we seem to be low on entrusting this message to faithful people. Right, okay. And it's the trust piece that I think that we get caught up on. We're so confident in, in guarding the deposit that I think we're low to low, low of allowing people and encouraging people to be the next wave. So not handing over, kind of retaining not control, over. not trusting. I see what That's you're saying. That's right. Yeah. And when you read that 2 Timothy 2 piece, you can actually see four generations of of disciples. You've got Paul, Timothy, entrusted to faithful people who will then teach the next, the fourth generation. You know, right. yeah. you think if you hold on to it too tightly, you're breaking yeah. it. Well, you know, the uh, the Christian church is sort of one generation away from extinction all the time. All you the know, time. If we, if we don't do that task. And so trust is risky. 
but trustworthiness only starts with trust. So I think that's the biggest gap is it's probably the same gap across the business world as well. well. Am I going to trust that you might be better than me at something? Am I going to trust that you're not going to stuff up, uh, you know, all of that stuff? Um, But in, in the sacred world, in the church world, I think that's even more important because, as you say, it's critical for the the movement uh, yeah. of Christ's word and Christ's uh, kingdom. And the last question: What have you learned about leadership failure? Uh, I think I've learned about leadership failure that that I'm continually to grow, and failure, whilst it's hurt, it hurts an enormous amount. Um, with a bit of reflection, can help me grow. Um, and leadership failure just helps you to have that thing, one word thing that any leadership in Christian world needs to have, which is humility. Thanks to Peter Mayrick for sharing about his leadership journey, what he's learned, and thanks to you for being part of the Blunderbuss journey. I'd love it if you would subscribe and rate the Blunderbuss. It actually helps more people to know about this podcast. And a shout-out to my sister Noreen in Perth who loves listening to the blunderbuss. Go to our website at www.generationleadership.com.au to find out more about pastoral supervision, and I'll see you next time on the blunderbuss.